0: this episode of the Heat Check, the first round of the NBA playoffs have surprised us, taken a quite a bit of a turn. Suns and the Grizzlies might just find themselves in a dogfight here, folks. A seven-game series, I would say for those top two seeds was not what they envisioned by winning 50-plus games. Uh, Sixers now have to deal with a major injury, and the Nets are on the verge of a broomstick. Just like everyone predicted. <laughs> We love the playoffs. So, Brock, we also have to do the little winning time. By the way, we have our winning time recap. So do me a favor, Brock, and drop that motherfucking beat. Friday's episode on Thursday, which means all of the games that happen Thursday night I have not seen yet. So there has been some games that have gone down since our last episode. We've got Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, four nights of games. So we've got a lot to kind of recap. Things are in flux. Two of the big favorites, the Suns and the Grizzlies, are now. Fighting a badger in a box. I don't know if I've ever told that term to you, Brock, uh, but I love it. Like, it's, it's just when a badger gets inside of a box and you try to attack it, it is just, my mom used to call me when I woke up as a little kid, a badger in a box. Like, just full of piss and vinegar and venom, and, like, if you try to come after that thing, you're going to get fucked up. So that's what the Suns and the Grizzlies are in right now. They are fighting badgers in boxes. Nets are on life support, and Ben Simmons just decided after promising us, promising he was ready to go, and he was. He was ready to go. He was healthy. He was excited. His outfit game is definitely on point, and he's not ready to give those outfits up because Sunday he woke up with some back soreness. So he's going to be out for game four. But the biggest news of all, Joel Embiid's thumb is actually really fucked up. Like, it's bad. As we would say in Land. rut-row. Rut-row, Embiid, rut-row. Let's start out east. Uh, Boston Celtics. They've done everything. Pretty much something that no one has ever done before. They have shut down the most potent scorer of our generation, Kevin Durant. He's not even shooting. He's telling us he's thinking too much. He's trying to be perfect. He doesn't know whether he should force it or whether he should give the ball up. He's like, literally, every time I I do anything else, I lose. Like, I tried to play within the game and let the ball come to me, and somehow I'm only taking 11 shots a game now. Like, I tried to force it, and I'm like, four for 15. Let's look at his stat line really fast so I don't just make up his stats. But it's not good. Kevin Durant stats. All right. Game, game 1 when he forced it, 9 for 24, 1 for 5. Game 2 when he forced it, 4 for 17, 1 for 2 from 3. Game 3 when he said he was letting the game come to him. 6 for 11, 2 for 3. Eight rebounds, eight assists. Great stat line. Not Kevin Durant's stat line. And an L. Most importantly, three L's in a row. Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving. Let's look at his stats. Uh, After that incredible performance where he was 12 for 15 uh, in the play-in game, he went 12 for 20 in game one with 39 points. Epic. Six for 10 from three. And then he has fallen off a cliff. 10 points in game two. Four for 13. 0 for 1 from three. Whoa, I didn't even know this. In game three, 16 points, 6 for 17, 0 for 7. You're talking about a man. Kyrie Irving went 0 for 8 from three in two games. So back to Kevin Durant. He's in a tailspin right now. He's what we call in the barrel of the wave. You're surfing, and you're doing your kid cutty thing, and you're like, I'm riding the wave, can't find the wave, and then you crash. And he's looking up, he's looking down, he doesn't know which side is deeper into the ocean, and which side is the sky. That's where we're at right now. In the first three games of this soon-to-be-over season, when Tatum has guarded Kevin Durant, he's held him to just 10 points and made him commit 10 turnovers. KD has made exactly two baskets in three games against Tatum. KD has been locked up. They won't let me out. No. No, and it's not going to change. Everybody keeps telling me, Trista, Trista, don't take the under on Kevin Durant's points. Don't take the under on his PRA. The man is the best scorer of our generation. Yes! That's why I'll continue to take the under, folks, because nothing's changing. Nobody's coming to save you, Kevin. And like I said in the beginning of this series, and I'm going to continue to say it because it was so spot on, as the series gets further and further along, they'll both, Kevin and Kyrie, will become less and less effective. We've got and even Steve Nash is talking about it. I'm sure this is what he said. I'm sure they're tired. Kyrie fasting through Ramadan. Kevin's basically been playing 40 minutes in, from the like 40 minutes a game in the last 20 games. Like yeah, like I this is Ke- Steve Nash direct quote too. When I'm fat, when I'm fasting and I haven't eaten and I play tennis, I feel like I'm gonna collapse. Can't believe Kyrie's even doing it. Excuse me. It behooves you to have a solution to these problems and. Blake Griffin hasn't played in a month, and you put him in. I don't even know why he decided to do it, but thank God, because Blake Griffin gave him a spark. He was locking up Tatum. This man is, I'm sorry to say it, unqualified for this job. Unqualified. Here's the, more of the problems. They have, I might repeat myself. They have zero depth. They don't play defense well. They have two superstars who cannot carry the team when they're consistently double teamed, they can't just Giannis themselves into it. They can't just Jokic themselves into it. They have a coach with exactly zero answers about how to fix these things, other than to switch to his own defense. Like literally, he's trying box and ones. He doesn't. He's not running plays to get Kevin Durant open. Think about that, Kevin Durant, who can shoot over anyone. It's like just go out there and go ISO like it's an AAU scrimmage. No, they're up. Celtics are operating like it's a war. They've got onward Christian soldiers, just left, right, left, right. You know what I mean? Like, they are in lockstep right now, and Kevin Durant is locked up right now. And then you're like, okay, well, maybe Ben Simmons will come, and he'll be able to lock up Tatum or Brown or some variation of both because Jason Tatum does nothing against Ben Simmons, and you're like, like I said, I'll believe it when I see it. I fucking told you I know Ben Simmons like I know my own self. I know him better than maybe he knows himself. How long has the promise of Ben Simmons in clutch situations been hanging over the heads of us as fans and, of course, Nets fans as well? After being told Ben was a go for game four, he woke up and just like, ah. I don't know, but I think I tweaked it. I I think I'm, and now he's having meetings with the Nets organization, him, Rich Paul, and him, being like, we're gonna discuss a further plan on how we can return to the court mentally and physically, considering all the hurdles that Ben has to go through. I thought he was ready! Why is there a new meeting taking place? He was ready! Why are there new mental hurdles? Why? I said it on Twitter. I said, I cannot wait for Ben Simmons to return back into the Nets lineup on an elimination game. Like, Ben Simmons, highest pressure, I, I'm sure that's got to contribute to it. They're not up 3-1. They're not up 3-0, and he comes out, like, just front-running. They need you. Ben, we need you. Shoot the ball, Ben. Shoot. No. Stephen A had this to say, he is all of us. Let's go to that clip.
2: Jalen's different than me. I feel bad for anybody who was his teammate. He quit on LSU. He quit on the Philadelphia 76ers and now he ain't showing up for the Brooklyn Nets. We can point to all the excuses, all the rationale behind it that we want to. I do recall, despite him not playing, he still filed a grievance to collect $20 million that he has not earned. This is one of the most pathetic situations that I've ever seen in my life. He ain't going to war. He ain't going in the octagon. He's not going in a boxing ring. It's pulling teeth to get this man to play basketball. It's pathetic. It's sad. And at the end of the day, when the NBA Gets in the collective bargaining table and they go after the players in terms of a pay for play stipulation in the collective bargaining agreement, it's going to be called the Ben Simmons rule.
0: Sheesh, I'm telling you, everyone is coming for Ben's head. Even my man Reggie Miller's coming after him. This is what he had to say. Come on, man. Out for game four when it was rumored you were going to make your debut. This dude has zero competitive fire. As a small chance as the Nets have to come back in this series, you still have KD and Kyrie. All you need is to win one game and take it for their hashtag man up, sir. Sir. Couldn't say it better than my. I couldn't say it any better myself. The Nets are a train wreck. They are. They have now constructed two of the three worst super teams we've ever seen. The one with Paul Pierce and them, wow. and then and then who else was on that squad? Yeah. It was KG yeah. was on that. Deron Williams was up on that squad. Joe Johnson. Joe Johnson. Yes, KG, Deron Williams, Joe Johnson, Paul Pierce. Ugh. Ugh. Now it's KD, Kyrie, Harden. Ugh. KD, Kyrie, Simmons. Ugh. No dogs. There's no dogs on that squad. Got a DM. They tweeted, they tweeted at me, and they were like, I think these are the three worst super teams of our generation. And you know what? I agree. So, now that they'll get swept, or maybe Scott Foster will luck them into getting set their ass home from Boston, which would be even better, I think, for Boston fans. Better for the narrative. Better for Kyrie versus— I mean, just imagine him losing in Boston— those fans. Just tremendous. Then there's going to be a ton of questions. Who's to blame? Is it Kyrie? Yeah. Yes. Is it Harden? Yes. Yeah. Is it Nash? Yeah. Yes. Does Nash come back? No. Hopefully not. Uh, the latest news is that they do not expect Steve Nash to be fired. Here's why that's not shocking to me. Although firing him is a oh, thousand percent the right move. Like if you put Ime Yudoka as the head coach of the Nets and Steve Nash as the head coach of the Celtics, same teams, same construction. I believe Celtics are up or I believe Nets are up 3-0 on the Celtics. That's where I'm at. You're talking about Steve Nash from the beginning. No Imei ever, a a parallel universe where Imei never – instills dog into the Celtics team. They're a badly constructed roster. They've got Tatum doing iso ball. Jalen Brown never passing to a soul. Marcus Smart chucking 15 threes a game. Robert Williams trying to do something to help out in the paint. Peyton Pritchard coming in. Aaron Nesmith. This team would be Gargar. Eme coming in. Yes, that's a new term. Gargar. It's from my youth. Nets would be a well-oiled sy- symphony. That's how bad Steve Nash is. He has no clue how to handle things. He had Mike D'Antoni last year. Mike D'Antoni said, Thank you, sir. Goodbye. I'm out. Read it about what you will. But, Sean Marks and Steve Nash were homies. Steve Nash and Sean Marks, the GM of the Nets, were teammates in Phoenix. The years where Steve Nash was at his pinnacle. Two-time MVP. You don't ever forget that as a teammate. Like, you look at Steve as the player, and you're like, oh. And then you're like, oh, yeah, brilliant basketball mind. He must come in and deal with these superstars. He spent, like, 25 minutes with Kevin Durant when Kevin Durant was in Golden State. And apparently they gelled. They had a coffee. He called him Yoda. And, like, Kevin Durant signed off on it. Then, of course, Kyrie said, well, we don't really have a coach. So, I mean, it was destined to fail from the beginning. But if Sean Marks isn't fired, then Steve Nash isn't fired. Unless, unless here's where it gets tricky. Nepotism falls when the guillotine falls. So if it's Joe Tsai saying Steve, uh, it's either Steve, Sean, or you. Sean will go back to backstabbing ways because this is what the executives do. And Steve will, Steve and and the Nets will will mutually part ways. It'll be an amicable, mutually parting of ways. This is now year three of the KD-Kyrie experiment. Kyrie, in those three years, has played 46% of all Nets games. Let me just repeat that again. Kyrie Irving has played less than 50% of games as a Net. Let me expand on this. Kyrie Irving hasn't played, in his 11 years, a full 82-game season ever. He's played 90% four out of his 11 years. The other seven years, he's missed significant time. He's been finessing us for a long-ass time. This is not going to go down any differently in the future. So the question is, is Kyrie going to get a max extension or not? Nah? Do you trust him on a long-term deal? Is this a long-term commitment? Hell no. Will they do a one in one a one-year deal with a one-year team option, and then they do the whole, like, it's the reverse of the LeBron James situation. It's like, we'll see how it goes with you. If they don't extend them, who else will? Will they do a sign-in trade? I can't imagine Kevin Durant is going to sign off on Kyrie not being there. If they do trade Kyrie, does Kevin care? If Kevin cares, does Kevin ask for a trade as well? The dominoes, they just continue to just... These are the things that keep me up at night. These are the iterations of the possibilities that make me smile. Sometimes my dog wakes up at night, and it's like it was just me laughing to myself in my bed, thinking about all the situations of disaster and peril that could befall this league. How do you fix this roster? Another question. Huge gaps all over the place. Almost no depth. They're over the luxury tax already. This is sort of Lakers-esque with better players. When you have multiple guys on max deals, and let's speaking of dysfunction, like this is the same team that was mad that DeAndre Jordan wasn't starting. DeAndre Jordan got waived. Like DeAndre Jordan is washed. Like the nepotism within the Nets organization in the team environment is fucking crazy too. It's bonkers. Will we see another question? Will we see Ben Simmons to start next year? Will he be healthy? Is he going to get another back surgery? Is He's still not mentally ready to compete? I don't know. I don't know. It's going to be a wild offseason, though, in Brooklyn. And they are for sure going home. I mean, so much for third best
2: offseason. Another like yeah,
1: right?
0: no, place is getting a little explosive. Another place that has got a, a team with a lot to lose. It's not the Nets. Joel Embiid now needs surgery on his thumb. A little update. He has torn a ligament in his thumb. He has said publicly it makes it very difficult for him to catch the ball, which is rebounding, receiving passes. Makes, him very, makes it very difficult for him to pass the ball. Scoring is okay. It's like not as much of a deal, but like the whole passing thing. Assists and rebounds, like very key pieces of Joel Embiid's game, very difficult. His stat line, gross. We'll get to that. Here's the problem. Toronto and, and furthermore, Miami, who will be their next opponent if they win, very aggressive defenses. Like, you're talking about teams that will rip at the ball. Like, that is possibly additional damage that will need to be surgically repaired and impede his progress and his effectiveness throughout the series, right? It's going to make it difficult, let alone like he's going to be pressed by Scotty Barnes. He's going to be pressed by Pascal Siakam. And then in the next series, when they make it out or if they make it out, you've got Bam Adebayo, you've got Jimmy Butler in a revenge spot, and even more to the point, you've got P.J. Tucker who just doesn't give a fuck. Like, he is going to rip at everything. He might just swipe at your hand, period, all the time. That's his nature. He's an irritant. It's affecting Joel Embiid. Let's talk about it. He averaged 13 rebounds in the first three games of the series. Only eight in game four after the injury. He averaged 28 points a game in those three first games. 21 in the Raptors. uh, In the loss to the Raptors. So... That means Joel Embiid operating around 75%, and without a full Embiid, as I famously tweeted, rut Roll. <laughs> and then, of course, and then, of course, lots of question marks about what happens next here, too. You got a man averaging 18 points per game in the playoffs, making $33 million a year. Toby. You got to ditch him. How are you going to ditch Toby? Are you going to extend Hardy? What's happening? <laughs> What's happening with our man, Maury? See what I did there? See what I did there? Boom, boom, boom. That's what it is. Whoa. Let's go. Let's move on to the next series, cause it is just electric vibe. factory vibe. next one. That's a vibe.
2: vibe. Yeah. Uh, that's a vibe. It's a vibe. Uh, that's, a vibe. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, that's a vibe. Oh, it's a vibe. Uh,
0: Let's catch you up vibe. quickly on the vibe. A vibe yeah. that the Memphis that's Grizzlies certainly did vibe. not expect. When they were the number two yeah. seed in the West. Yeah. At this yeah. point, it feels like they're the seven seed. And, and the Grizzlies are the two seed. And the Timberwolves are the two seed. Like, it's crazy. The Wolves blew a... We didn't even talk about this. The fact that the Wolves blew a massive lead. Like, they were up 20 multiple times during that game. And got outscored in the fourth quarter 37 to 9. A professional basketball team scored nine points in the fourth quarter. A professional basketball team got outscored 37 to 9. Carl Anthony Towns, kitty cat, shot the ball four times in that game. When they asked him why, he said, Next question. When they asked him what he was going to do to bounce back from the loss, he said, I'm just going to chill out, drink a little wine, and I'll get over it. The immaturity of these responses, when you are supposed to be the leader of this team and of this franchise as the number one pick, it's, it's disgusting. And I don't care that his teammates were responsible for not passing the ball. Like, he's a front runner. He's, he sang on the broadcast, we in Minnesota now. They don't even know. We in Minnesota. We played them the first two times in, in Memphis. They don't even know what it's going to be. I told them. I told them. And that was when they were up 25. And what happened? 37 to 9 in the fourth quarter. To the point where Jaw quote tweeted it, we in Minnesota now. Smiley face. As a quick decide, I did not know this, but John ja Morant's dad, T. Morant, and Carl Anthony Towns' dad are like best friends. What a tremendous. Also, like, if Jaw's dad is best friends with Kat's dad, then probably they're very similar. Which means, like, how did Carl Anthony Towns become this soft? I mean, like, because it's Jaw. You got T Morant literally h- hating on Jaw his entire life. He's Jaw Morant's first hater. And, like, he'll just tell Jaw, like, you suck. Jaw Morant, leader in points in the paint, you suck. Like, MVP candidate, you suck. Anyway, so, Ja tweeted out this laughing emoji, the video saying it during the game. I'll play the Minnesota clip for you.
2: Yeah, we in Minnesota now. Like I said after the media, all right, cool, we got to come back to our house
0: now. I only seen them at our, their house. Mando. Mando! We in Minnesota now. Bad luck. bad look. Anyway, apparently Cat was very pissed that he didn't get the ball that game so much that when he, there was a timeout, he said to them, get me the motherfucking ball. These motherfuckers can't guard me. Let's go. And they didn't get him the ball. Four, four shots. Uh, turns out that he was right, that when he gets the ball, better things happen. He came out in game four, and he dominated to the tune of 33 and 14. Didn't see that coming. Like game one, Memphis, zero answer. Now, why is this part important? Well, now they're going to have to make up. Memphis is going to have to make up for a less than 100 percent Ja Morant, because we got something cooking, and John Moran is now telling us, and he doesn't look good. He doesn't look the part. He's saying, "I'm not my 100 percent. Something is up with Jaw. Jaw says, "Yes, I'm not 100 percent. I can be honest right now. I'm not Jaw right now. I've seen y'all's tweets. y'all know what I'm talking about. I'm not playing above the rim. I'm almost there. It's not an excuse. Fuck it, I'm playing. His knee's probably not right. He missed, what, the last nine games of the season? He played the last game of the season. So, like, I think it was nine. He pl- he missed nine and played the last. I watched him in game, what was it, four. He passed up a wide-open layup in game four and then made a pass that turned into a turnover instead of him just bamming. He doesn't feel as aggressive because that knee is not right and my hackles went up. Jaw only had eight. How, only had 11 points in game four. The injury, I think, occurred in game two in the third period when Carl Anthony Towns hit jaw and he had to go back to the locker room. I don't know if you remember that, but he was in a lot of pain. Looks like the leg hasn't fully recovered. And if you're a Grizz fan, you're probably you know, ripping your hair out because there were some very suspect calls in game four that happened in Minneapolis. A lot of people complaining about the officiating getting too involved. Whistle happy. You know who was pissed the most, though? Head coach.
2: play better, but in, in my, my opinion, w- one of the most poorly officiated games I've ever seen in my NBA career. Um, all five of our starters are borderline fouled out in the first quarter. Um, f- 10 plus foul difference, 40 free throws. Yeah, some things we got to clean up and get better at, but I've never seen a more inconsistent and arrogant, um, you know, officiated game. So I'll take whatever hits come in my way. I got to protect our guys. We know we've got to get better, but. I mean, from the get go, it was foul, 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 inconsistency. There was actually one play where a foul whistle was blown before contact was even made. It's embarrassing. Um, You know, but I'm always going to look in the mirror and say, how do we play better? How do we coach better? Um, But I'm at a loss for words. And that's not, I'm not going to go as far as saying that's the reason we lost, but I'm going to let it be known that that's that's messed up. And arrogance, inconsistency, and uh, big fan, you know. Of the the, whatever.
0: Pat Bev uh, responded, of course, when he heard about the quote. Uh, he said, I saw the interview with Coach Jenkins about the referees. Very interesting there, especially given the fact they shot 42 free throws the first time we played them. I don't think Coach Chris Finn, shower coach, complained at all. Uh, it took it. We won. He took it on the chin, you know. Two fouls on John Morant, both games one and games three, only two. Uh, I take charges for his third foul. I don't get the call. Uh, but we're not here complaining about the referees. I think the referees are in a tough position, and coming from a young coach— like Taylor Jenkins, that's just something you don't do. Me being in this league for a decade, that's just something you don't do, especially during playoff time. Kind of confused about that. Chippy, chippy, lippy, lippy. I said this series was going to be lit. I said this was going to be my favorite one. It is coming down to it. I think this thing's going the distance. The Grizzlies are fighting the badger in the box. They're getting caught in the bear trap. And they are Needless fighting for their fucking lives with jaw she on one leg. Prayers bad up bad to the list. Grizzlies. Callin' em. it quiz now, baby, I'm a wreck. Crash at my place, baby, I'm wreck. Needless to say, I'm keeping a check. She was a bad,
1: bad, never the less. it quiz.
0: the one seed pretty much like Memphis getting the two seed I don't think they expected this I think they expected a cute story a story of a team that went 1 and 12 made some moves found their identity have their star player basically sitting on the on the bench full-time eating beignets and wearing lots of jewelry okay there's a very cute story Got C.J. McCollum in the de- deadline. He can score. Brandon Ingram, nice player. Jonas Valanciunas, good dude. But, like, where the fucking Phoenix Suns. Let's make light work of them. And it looked like it possibly could have happened until Devin Booker got injured. And now he's on the bench with a hamstring injury. So both teams, with their star players out, except for the New Orleans Pelicans, haven't had them all year, and they've been doing just fine little rebalancing, folks, considering the path that the Suns took last year was filled with injured teams. You had the Lakers without Anthony Davis and LeBron James, who was hampered. You had Denver Nuggets, who was missing Jamal Murray, and you had the Clippers that was missing Kawhi. So now you're facing a team that is young and is just fearless and they're athletic and they're hitting buckets from everywhere and they're doing Suns things. They're just getting in your face. You've got Jose Alvarado being the like the irritant that Chris Paul is. Jose Alvarado, undrafted guy out of Queens came from Georgia Tech. He is averaging a steal over a steal a game. He became like basically in the clutch lineup like pretty close to the end of the season. He forced Chris Paul. Here's like a testament to how good Jose Alvarado has been. Chris Paul, one of the best point guards, maybe the best point guard ever, to play the game. Like, definitely one of the smartest, high IQ players, especially in crunch time. Fourth quarter, Jose Alvarado came into the game and immediately, with his physicality, forced Chris Paul into an eight second violation in the backcourt. Like, that is Jose Alvarado a kid that's undrafted from Queens. Also, Jose Alvarado in the game before game four, so game three, eight consecutive buckets down the stretch in the fourth quarter. They ended up losing that game because Chris Paul was just certainly better, but you're talking about a rookie, an undrafted rookie making plays. Herb Jones, another guy who was a second rounder, all SEC player of the year, SEC defensive player of the year, somehow, way, got... Six guys in his conference drafted before him—an absolute steal—which leads to our next segment coming up. Just tons of blocks. To he blocked Mikael Bridges in a corner three, and he wasn't even anywhere near him when Mikael Bridges went up. Like his length and athleticism is absurd. It is bananas. Herb Jones might be one of the most valuable role players in the league right now. And that's considering I love Mikhail Bridges. He's also a very valuable role player. Anyone who can just... Like, Chris Paul wanted no smoke from Herb Jones. He couldn't even pass the ball. Herb Jones' wingspan is literally like a bubble around... Chris Paul is too, too short for all that. Herb Jones is just making life a fucking pain. And these are guys who aren't even the ones. Like, the ones Brandon Ingram being unguardable. The ones C.J. McCollum just being one of those tremendous playmakers... Jonas Valanciunas just bodying people down low. Getting to the left shoulder, yak. Yeah. Getting to the left shoulder, floater. Re- like, I think he had 24 rebounds one night. This team is going to be in a dogfight. This might go seven as well. And there's a legit possibility. I know that we don't want to think about it because the Suns are such a good team and they're fun. But if they don't get Devin Booker soon, they could end up getting like bounced out of the first round, which I believe would be probably... The greatest upset in NBA history. A, an 8 beating a 1. But they're not an 8. Let's be real. They were 9-10. They were 9-10. They started 1-12. and 12. They were 3-16 and 16 to start the year. Like they were... They were like a super senior. Like they're not even supposed to be here. And they're here. I tell you what. They need book back ASAP Rocky. And uh, because this scrappy, defensive-minded, really well coached by Willie Green is going absolutely nowhere and they are not me. Don't act like I'm average. This playoffs, you're watching like I talked about Jose Alvarado, Herb Jones. It shows... How important a great front office is. Like, it makes or breaks you. It, not Everybody who has a first, like, the number one overall pick, most people are going to get that pick right. They pretty much lay the path for you on the internet. You know who the player that you need to draft is overall. But, like, who are the teams that can find guys out, off the street and they immediately make an impact? Who are guys who, like, have a... Early second-round pick and get somebody who is probably caliber lottery. Jose Alvarado, undrafted guy. But he was ACC Defensive Player of the Year. I think that we should start thinking about players that fall into those categories and where they slip and say, okay, I'm not going to be surprised if they make early impacts because a guy like him, tenacious, he was the reason Georgia Tech was in the tournament. As soon as he left, they fell off the cliff. Herb Jones wasn't just SEC Defensive Player of the Year. He was SEC Player of the Year. And six SEC players were drafted above him. How sway? <laughs> Bones Highland, another late pick that Denver ended up getting because Denver's good enough or they're not going to get a pick in the first, like, rat lottery. He was so good in the game against Golden State, he almost single-handedly got them the win. Of course, Jokic is Jokic, but like they need another guy and that now is Bones Highland. And he was like, anybody could got him, anybody. That is what we call finding value. This is exactly what a team needs to continue to do to be a good team, like an elite team, finding trash off the street, undrafted guys, finding value in the draft. This is what makes a difference. So I wanted to quickly take a look at six teams who consistently are up there in talent evaluation and find huge value in the draft and the waiver wire, despite not always being in optimal draft situations. Let's talk about New Orleans first because they're better than most. Herb Jones, second round. Jose Alvarado, undrafted. Trey Murphy went 17th in the pick with Memphis. He's also a sneaky pick, getting a lot of corner threes. David Griffin saved his job in the 2021 draft. It is insane how good these rookies are playing. Fearless, athletic tough. That's the identity of the New Orleans Pelicans right now. Herb Jones is a top 10 defender in the NBA his rookie year. Trey Murphy is getting more run in the playoffs than he has all year and is not disappointed. Jose Alvarado, like I said, just clutch. And on top of that, there are some things like the emergence of Herb Jones, the emergence of Jose Alvarado that changed the landscape of that team. And it made me think about there are some things we have no control over that impact the course of our future, impact the course of our leverage and negotiating power. Do you know who has no negotiating power right now? Zion Williamson. Zion Williamson is going to try to get a max rookie, like, he's going try to get a max deal. And, like, they just went to the playoffs and took the Sun seven. Do we need Zion? We do not need Zion. In fact, Zion might be a detriment. And, in fact, now we have ultimate leverage with other teams because, like, we'll just let Zion sit. We'll play in the regular season. It'd be nice. It'll Be a nice story. It'll be our jumbo lineup. We'll put them in our jumbo lineup. It's all good, and I do mean jumbo. So like, it's very clear that run stopper the yeah run stopper, like literally like third goal line. We'll put put him on the goal line. It is clear that the run that the Pelicans are making after starting one and twelve that Zion has like zero opportunities on this roster. I think him not getting back on defense, him being a spacing issue, like now you've got Brandon Ingram, legit number one option, a superstar. What do you do when it's him and Zion? And Zion is a black hole with the ball. Like, let's be honest. It's going to be very, very interesting. Team's very exciting. Uh, Another team, Memphis. We talked earlier about them. Damn. Like, if you look at them, all the picks that they figured out a way to get, Desmond Bain was the last pick in the first round. Xavier Tillman and Brooks all slipped to the second round. Brooks went 45th overall. He was all Pac-12, by the way, defender. He might be the most valuable player on this team besides Jaw. You've got Zaire Williams, 10th pick. You've got Desmond Bain, 30th pick. Xavier Tillman, 35th pick. Dylan Brooks, Brandon Clark as well. 21st pick traded on draft night from OKC. Just players that are legit getting serious minutes that they got for almost nothing. Toronto Raptors also amazing at this. Probably no better talent evaluators out there than Masai Ujiri and Nick Nurse. How do I know this? Because Scotty Barnes was regarded a dumb pick at four. It was like, why would you pick him? we got Jalen Soggs, proven winner. Gonzaga jumps up on the scoreboard. Game-winning shot. You need a point guard. Who's your point guard? It's like, no, no. Don't you worry about us. Don't you worry about us. Just wins rookie of the year. Just overwhelming like rookie of the year winner. Long, Perfect fit, long, athletic, switches everything. Six seven to six nine. That's our that's our mold. Jalen Jalen Suggs, he doesn't fit in that mold. What has he done in Orlando? Nothing. No shade to Jalen Suggs, but he is in the the black hole of the NBA, which is the Orlando Magic. So then, like, how how does, important does he become on this team? Like, when he goes down with that ankle injury, they lose. When he comes back and no Fred Van Fleet, they win. Pretty simple. And this is a team that robbed the bank for Pascal Siakam at twenty seven. 27, one of the best wings in the league. OG Ananobi, another wing. Just puts up like 21 on a regular basis. No no big deal. Nobody even talks about him. 23rd, 2017. Just steals. And while no team's ever come back 3-0 in the first round, like with Embiid being hobbled and Scotty Barnes being back, like Scott Foster being the, the we'll call it, uh, inflection point of this series in Game 4. I could see it happening. The Sixers do not want to go back to Toronto for game's sake. They want no part of that smoke. They also are picking up guys on the margins, Raptors, like Armani Brooks. He was a 10-day guy. He got some run in the playoffs. And, they, and now he just signed a multi-year deal. Phoenix Suns, not great drafting. Not, not perfect team for drafts. But they've been picking up players in like these marginal trades and free agency. Super astute moves when you think about it. Mikhail Bridges is, their, like, I would say, their best move that they've made on draft night they traded with Philly they fleeced him Philly kid mom works for the Sixers went to Villanova somehow he ends up in Phoenix and he's like just a perfect fit anywhere he goes they got Jalen Smith who they ended up trading to Indiana he was a perfect fill-in big man when DeAndre Ayton went down campaign they just stole him back up point guard Torrey Craig they got him for I think a bag of chips um he just signed a multi-year deal, but he played in the finals for them last year. He was a great, small five. Got JaVale McGee on a vet minimum. Like, did you see him? Uh, I think he didn't miss a shot last game. I think he went eight for eight. Landry Shamet for a low-end pick. Bismack Biyombo. they took him off the street. He was basically on his couch. He became their third option as a center. Like, he's now getting DMPs. Just the, the brains on this team. It's wild. Denver. Probably no team is squeezing value out of low-to-middle first-round picks better than Denver. And second-round picks. And second-round picks. Jokic, soon to be the only player drafted in the second round to win an MVP. Probably twice. Three of the last four drafts have landed Nuggets Porter, Zeke Naji, and now Bones Highland, who is averaging 11, 2, and 4 in 17 minutes in the playoffs. He hit three huge threes in Game 4 to win that game against Golden State. And then the heat, which will lead me really quickly after this into our winning time recap. But Pat Riley is just fucking ridiculous. Pat Riley, just one of the greatest one of the greatest executives, period, and just widely regarded. So he knows what he's looking for. And he's he's the quintessential find you in the trash and turn you into treasure guy. He's the guy who would probably make a killing like going to garage sales. Like, that's it. Like the heat have been great for 15 years. And they've been able to find guys just completely undrafted. Bam and Tyler, low lottery and picks. Bam out of bio, Tyler Hero. But what stuns me is they have four players on this team who are undrafted free agents. Duncan Robinson. Yes. Max Strus. Max Struess just had 20 the other night. Gabe Vincent. He's the one locking up uh, Trey Young. Trey Young's telling, uh, telling us, I didn't even talk about that series. That series is done. Don't worry about that. Yeah, that's it. Bulls, Bulls, Bucks. That's over. I didn't even talk about it because it's done. Don't even worry. Uh, Trey Young's being like, I've, I've never been, been guarded like this. All of them playing great, like just great. Heat culture. They even picked Victor Oladipo up, like on a fire. Victor Oladipo, everybody thought it was broken, and now he can get like twenty seven on any given night. They just. Justice Winslow they picked up, who they ended up flipping for value. Josh Richardson they picked up, 40th. He ended up being a nice player in the league. And then the teams like Utah and, and the Lakers, like they just live at the deadline. They just live life in the trash zone. And they just consistently underperform. So the way forward in the new NBA, I think, is to maximize the draft when you don't get a high draft pick and then find ways to... Just be smarter than your competition, like the Heat. It's like, it's a wonder. It's like, oh, yeah, Golden State got Jordan Bell. Golden State got Jordan Poole. Yeah, it makes sense. It continues to. Check it
1: out. If you got the nerve, lash out for your just desserts. It's not just the words, some of y'all heads up in the cloud. I'ma bring y'all back to earth, it's black back to burn. Bullshit y'all talking about, out your mouth, I'm not concerned. Cause y'all got the nerve, it's y'all turned
0: like Detroit Red. It is our weekly winning support. time re- re- recap, and it's a week too late. Jerry Jerry West has already sued HBO, he's hired a defamation lawyer. And that is the week, this week is the week that they redeemed Jerry West six weeks a little six weeks too late truthfully it's been building i've said it before like i knew it was coming but but the hilarious thing is that winning time just completely humanized him to the point where you're like oh i see why he's this tormented soul like i see he's like really taking magic under his wing he's like really showing him how important it is to just tune everyone else out and be singularly focused on winning because That's all that matters. And him and Magic got some patico. It was like, we'll go into it. We'll go into it. The new target, though, for defamation, the guys made out to be snakes, Pat Riley and Paul Westhead, both men who very much are alive in order to hire their own defamation lawyers. The events, though, of winning time, the funniest thing is that they probably changed the course of Pat Riley's life forever. You're talking about A guy who was Chick Hearn's sidekick, a guy who was literally just getting shit on by Chick Hearn, the play-by-play of the Lakers, like over and over and over again. A guy who was like probably one year away from just living on the beach in a van somewhere, like to becoming the greatest executive and head coach, one of them in a long ass time. And all because Jack McKinney got into a bike accident. He became the assistant coach, interim, interim head coach. Just crazy. Shows how unpredictable life is because also you just never know who those people are. I'm not saying they're living in vans somewhere on the beach, but like it just shows you how an opportunity, the right opportunity, being there can change the course of history forever. He is now, like I said, one of the best executives of our generation and now hbo was calling him a snake somebody who somebody who basically shivved jack mckinney out went publicly on tv and said you know i don't think it's a good idea for him to come back until you know next year we've been here with for 50 plus games without him i think it would be a huge risk to the lakers organization for us to uh try to integrate him back in it would be Unfair to the team. Just They just made him look like a total asshole. And Paul Westhead also looked very unloyal, disloyal. Which one? And then also I think this is like more of an off-the-court drama episode, but it does touch on the All-Star game in Larry Bird and Magic's first year where they became the, the face of the league, how that ended up happening, the relationship between Cookie and Magic, The relationship between Magic and Dr. J, how Dr. J was finessing him to get Magic comfortable just so that he could put his boot on his fucking neck when they played and just bam on him. Things that, you know, you just hate to see. They also slandered Larry a little bit too because I don't think he was anywhere as much of an asshole as they show him to be. You know, they showed, like I said, they showed Dr. J schmoozing Magic just, just because they were playing him right after the All-Star break just so he could steamroll him, get his guard down. And that was the moment that they humanized Jerry West that I talked about because he sat down with Magic, and he told him the famous story about how Bill Russell used to glad hand Wilt Chamberlain, being so friendly so as to take away his edge when they played each other. And that is why Russell won 11 NBA chips, and Wilt won two. As an aside, though, Dr. J's legendary Rock the Baby dunk that they showed on Winning Time actually happened in 1983. So, not 1979, 1980. One of the greatest dunks of all time. But Jerry West's quote to Magic was the quote of the week. He said this, I scored 2, 000, no, 25,192 points in my career. Do you know what keeps me up at night? If I had scored 10 more points in five games, I'd have five more rings. Magic takes note, and he tells Jerry West, I don't just want to win. I need to. And Jerry West said, well, we're about to find out. Woo! Doesn't that just give you goosebumps? Watch the fucking show. Even though it's a fictional account, I'm sure at some point Magic did sit down with Jerry, and he gave him the what's what. And even though it's fictionalized, I think they managed to capture this essence perfectly. Great show. You need to be watching. That's all the time that we have for the heat check. We'll be back Friday. Early squirrely with a new episode. Follow us to help you prepare and keep up with the playoffs. Do not forget to download, subscribe, please tell your friends. I love it when you guys DM me and give me your feedback. Follow us on social at Trista Crick on Twitter, TikTok, and at this heat check on TikTok.